Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Episode 3, for Thursday, July 20th, 2017. We're very fortunate to be joined by three phenomenal guests today. Our first guest is Karen Koshansky. Karen, say hello. Hi, everyone. Karen, thank you very much for joining us. So Karen is an experienced designer and futurist working on defining and designing interactions. And she's involved in speech recognition, voice biometrics, conversational UIs, autonomous vehicles, and human-robot interaction. She started working on designing voice-first experiences in 1996 and is currently consulting for multiple companies pushing the boundaries in these areas. Karen, thank you very, very much for sharing your time and expertise with us today. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks. Next up, we have Brian Romley. Brian, say hello. Hello, everyone. So, Brian, uh, each week that goes by, I'm just going to continue to emphasize, if you are listening to this podcast and you have not gone to readmultiplex.com, not downloaded the app, not subscribed, I really don't know what you're doing. You need to go do that immediately. Thank you. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Next up, we have Dr. Ahmed Bouzid. Ahmed, say hello. Hello, everybody. Ahmed, thank you for joining us. Ahmed is founder and CEO of Witlingo and also co-founder and director of the Ubiquitous Voice Society. Um, a week or two ago, Witlingo rolled out the ability to turn your Facebook page, if you're a business or organization, into an Alexa skill. You need to go to witlingo.com and check that out. Thanks for the plug. Sure. I got I to gotta also say, go and check out uh, Ahmed's book, Don't Make Me Tap. Uh. <laughs> it is. Thank you so it, much for the plug. You guys are, are just helping out a big time. I, I love it. Thank you so much. It, no, yeah. it is. It is. It is the defining book. It really had a big impact on me. So get that book now. It's on Amazon, and it might be on sale today. So go check it out. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Thank you guys. Uh, Ahmed is PayPaling Brian right now as we speak for that <laughs> in real time. Um, Karen, Brian, Ahmed, thank you very much. And with that, let's get to the news. So this week, um, Amazon uh, has rolled out its Alexa Accelerator, which is part of the Techstars program, and they've identified the nine startups that are part of that. This is a fascinating list, a couple that caught my eye, and I'm seeing if I can pull this up. Uh, I looked at two of them specifically, one called Novel Effect, which is a really neat publishing-oriented application of Alexa in which... Um, the example that's presented on the, the web is uh, uh, a mother reading her children a story, and Alexa hears the words in real time being read and responds with music and audio cues and things like that. Really, really neat. The other one is called Tinatel, which is uh, the description on the news site is your kid's first mobile phone, but it's really a lot deeper than that. And uh, having a five-year-old, you know, my wife and I, that's, that would be the perfect uh, perfect thing. It really looked uh, compelling. Karen, I want to start with you. Um, and before the podcast started, uh, you were recounting some of your experience with being part of an accelerator. How does this news strike you? What should we take away? How How is this uh, Techstars Alexa Accelerator going to uh, further uh, the evolution of, of voice-first technology? Yeah, I was really excited um, to see the news. I had heard about the Alexa Fund. Um, so as an aside, in um, 2014, I went through the Highway 1 um, hardware accelerator here in San Francisco as, um, as co-founder of a smart clothing company. 
Um, and so definitely learned a lot about what an accelerator can bring and um, what, um, as a, as a co-founder of a company, what, what you could expect to get out of it. So, um, a couple of just general thoughts about the Alexa accelerator. First of all, very excited that they're partnering with Techstars because it's hard to create an accelerator, um, and hard to, for your companies to be successful, um, because it takes, it, it takes a lot, um, of focus on each of those companies, um, to come out to come out ahead. Now, um, TechStars has been doing this for a long time, so that's that's really good, right? To be able to partner with someone who who knows how to run accelerators. Um, now, of course, what Amazon brings to it is the voice first part, um, and I, I I hope that um, like these companies when I when I went through the list, um, they're all they're startups, and voice is obviously just a part of the experience that they're creating. So, like the Tinatel one. That's hardware. Hard, hardware, hardware is hard. Um, and some of the questions that I have is like the focus for the next few months with the accelerator. Is it is it only on voice? Is it or is it all aspects? Um, and maybe that's the collaboration with TechStars. They kind of focus on well, how do we, for example, manufacture these Tinatel little phones and wearables for you know for five year olds? And then there's a piece on on the voice first part. The other thing uh, I, I, am, I am hoping that the reason that these companies want to um, be part of the accelerator is, you know, the focus on design, um, setting the right expectations of what you can accomplish in, in a, let's say, a three-month period, and, and hopefully the on-staff, the day-to-day, the -day is not just um, on the engineering side, but um, des design first. So voice first, but, but design first, and really making sure that these um, hard um, interactions and um, experiences are designed the best that they, that they can be. Well, I have to echo what Karen is saying. Uh, absolutely, 100% on target there. You know, I think we're so early in this phase of the voice first revolution that it is immensely important to have the kind of support to help these young companies, much more than we saw in the app economy. And a lot of people try to apply that modality to what is taking place in voice first. And it's not really... Uh, really even close to what ultimately is happening and will happen. So it's it's important to have that funding and that support. And the big problem is there's no monetization on the horizon. So when you think about it from the perspective of a developer and applying all the, the energies necessary to build around this ecosystem, and Ahmed is a good example of that, what he's doing with Lingo and others. I mean, sure, there are ways to get to gain some income, but it's not nearly where it should be or where it could be and ultimately will be. So having the right funding, having the right support is immensely important. And having uh, Amazon and the Alexa fund, I think, is extremely important because it not only gives that funding, but also raises awareness. And I, for example, Novel Effect, uh, brilliant uh, choice uh, in that fund. And uh, I, if they asked me, I would have voted for it, too. Um, you know, and I just finished listen, listening to you, Bradley, uh, interview Nandini uh, Stoker over at Google and phenomenal thing. And towards the end of that interview on a voice first roundtable, she brought up about this idea of bringing conversation back and, and touching people and communicating. And this is right down that pipeline of um, 
you know, a mom reading to a child and having all these special effects um, and a dad reading to a child. I, I spent many, still do sometimes, spending nights and uh, sometimes summer afternoons reading to the kids and uh, even as they get older. And having something like this is, is powerful. And it shows you the creativity that one can have when they start opening their mind to what this new modality, this new interface, this new platform can achieve. And we're only touching the surface of it. And um, I can go down the list, but every one of these uh, these companies are doing fine. And I think um, we're going to be really surprised as the next, uh, uh, you know, the, the next batches start coming out. Yeah, I, I think I think the only thing I want to add, because um, um, I think the, the points by Karen um, and, and Brian um, uh, are on target. Uh, the only thing I want to add is uh, I would love for Amazon to... <clears throat> To, um, and I've been harping on this for a while now, is to enable people who are publishing skills to monetize their skills. I would pay, I would pay, um, uh, I'll pay 99 cents for, well, there, was a, there was a skill that I enabled this, mo- this morning uh, for, short, uh, for short casts. I'm forgetting it's owl something. I would pay 99 cents for it. And I guarantee you a million people would pay 99 cents for it. It's a beautiful uh, skill, um, but I can't. And you know what? I think that company um, would love to be able to monetize their skill on their own terms and build a business model and, and deliver value and have the customer, the person who is enjoying the value of the skill or the experience that was built, have that customer pay for the value. Uh, I think that the, the um, I think definitely um, you know these um, incubators um, and, and and the fund and so forth um, are. Of great value, and they help um, spark. Um, they help spark a space. But I think I'm hoping that Amazon is working on enabling people to monetize, and working on something that is long term. Right? Uh, they can't subsidize an ecosystem. The ecosystem has to be sparked, and I think that's what they're doing. But um, to sustain itself, um, it has to have a way to monetize value. Um, so I'm hoping that they're working on that as well. <laughs> That's uh, great. Great points all the way around. And, and Ahmed, I completely agree. I, I think uh, Amazon did a pretty spectacular job choosing these companies. It, there's diversity. There's a lot of creativity. Um, it's r- really something to, to see the list of companies that that they've selected. And uh, But to your point, it's just going to get harder to source uh, startups uh, to participate uh, in, in the ecosystem and do things like this if they don't have an end game in in sight. And the end game has to be generate revenue. Uh, the end game can't be uh, we'll just wait till Amazon gives us some sort of distribution um, yeah. whenever they feel like it. Uh, like is what's going on with yeah. uh, Alexa Games right now. Yeah, especially that there is no there's no other there's no ad ad model here and you can't do ads uh, on voice period right so i mean if you look at if you look at the models out there it's either the consumer gets it for free uh and and the business is building a user base and monetizing that through you know advertising and so forth or the consumer is paying for it um and, and that's how the company survives since there is no ads uh, i think the, the there has to be a way for the consumer of the uh, of the experience to um so that's my thinking. Anyway, Brian, did you want to say something? Yeah, Mud, I, I just want to support what you're saying. As it's absolutely correct, and it's a it's a bit of a frustration of mine. Is you know we need creative thinking. Uh, I can tell you that yeah, ninety nine cents is a great way to start of this. But you know, I think we really have to think 
much further down the road and we have to start from that distant point and then work backwards on how to monetize this correctly. Because ultimately, skills within skills within skills are going to interconnect like neurons. And if you have a skill that yeah. needs to share another skill, and that other skill gets ripped out of your brain, so to speak, like a neuron, mm-hmm. the, the whole house of cards fall apart. So what we really need is to maybe put together in these companies, and I raise my hand, Ahmed, I'm sure, raises his hand, uh, to, to help guide this stuff because it's just not happening and creating a monetization system like the iOS or Android App Store is foolish, really foolish. It's something to at least start, but I think if we go too far down that road, the 99-cent model ultimately or the dollar or even a $5 model or the you know subscription model, all of these may not be the right thing. And I have ideas. I'm not going to say all of them for free, but uh, I have ideas on how to do this. Well, but I think. On. I know, right? If you're if you're going to tell us that the ninety nine cents model is going to work, you got to share something. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, all right. So, all right. so yeah, I hear what you say. Let's let's look at it from this point of view. Um, the the idea of a voice assistant is really the idea of talking to another brain, right? Because ultimately, because we're humans, we're going to anthropomorphize a thing. And we're not going to think in the terms of clicking on something. Don't make me tap, right? You know, you're going to think in terms of framing things around linguistics and questioning. And the discovery of how you get to somewhere through voice dialogues is nowhere near the way you discover something visually in a Google search or even in an Amazon search Mm -hmm. for a product. Mm -hmm. So if that, if we can agree on that fact, then the next step to this is, okay, so all we're having is these dialogues that ultimately branch out and it could branch out in many directions. Once it hits a branch that is related to my domain, right? Whatever I've created a skill or a voice app for, Mm -hmm. maybe at that point, I get some sort of residual from that. Maybe I get, um, you know, I'll give you a quick sideline. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. But if you've ever been in a restaurant and you heard somebody singing happy birthday to you loudly in that restaurant, uh, look around. Because if there's a guy from Harry Fox, (laughs) there's a a guy from Harry Fox, that restaurant's going to pay a few thousand dollars in a fine. Because if they let that performance of happy birthday which is still under public performance rights. In fact, this year, even though it it, it theoretically is out of uh, copyright, it never does. That's another pet peeve of mine. This year, the owners of Happy Birthday to You are going to make a few hundred thousand dollars in residual uh, for people singing that song. And um, so that's a performance and it's considered a public performance, even if a group of kids around a table are singing it and Harry Fox happens to be there. So a lot of restaurants will do the speed it up, happy, happy birthday, that song, which is not copyrighted. And that's why you hear people take over the birthday song at some restaurants. Some restaurants will just pay the licensing rights for having that song broadcast or performed in their uh, facility. Why do I bring that up? I think it's important to understand that, in a sense, voice development is very much like music, poetry, or art development. And it may, in fact, wind up living on its own. It might take on its own life. 
And I'm not trying to get crazy AI on you. I'm just sort of saying as these things interconnect with other things that are out there, other skills, they're going to become interdependent upon each other. And we have to think from that distant point, which is not too far off. I already am doing that today on my Raspberry Pi voice-first systems. I mean, I'm already living in that world, and I'm already dealing with the complexities of what that represents. I say, let's look at that distant point, work backwards from there and say, okay, how do we start dealing with that? How do we recognize the importance of each one of these structures? And a hint I'm going to give to anybody who isn't hiring me at Google, Amazon, or Apple, the hint I will give you today is if you don't think in those terms, you're going to wind up not compensating the developers to the level they need to sustain as a business model. Because to make these skills become evergreen within somebody's neurocortex, within their personal assistant, and to stay there persistently, you have to have an ongoing stream of income for them. Whereas the model of an app, if you created an app that just gave you the weather, right? 99 cents, you pretty much, you, you built the app, it, it, it scans maybe some weather functionality, maybe you pay some, for some server time or whatever, but it pretty much you can find a way to monetize it. You can't do that with a voice system. So I just wanted to throw in kind of the value of a personal assistant. So, so I actually have a virtual personal assistant. Uh, we're in the process of moving to Switzerland and I needed someone who can organize everything for me. And so it's not my voice first solution, uh, but hey, I pay them $17 an hour. If, if one of my, you know, <laughs> Google or Amazon could um, actually do those things for me, that I really needed to get done, um, I'd be willing to pay, you know, $17, $17 an hour. That is, that is powerful, Karen. That is exactly what I'm talking about, is this concept of look at the value that's being brought forth. And, and I think that all of the parties are doing a disservice to themselves by just seeing it as a search, as a question and answer system, this is where the failure points are coming from. And that's why Apple's left so much on the table. That's why Google is, you know, other than people like Nandini, Google's going down this road of a Q&A and, and search. It's, it's a dead end. I think my point was that I would like to see the people who are getting the benefits of being able to buy flowers, being able to buy a cake, or the customer to pay for the value somehow. I do not want Amazon to, to toss me some money. I don't want to have a benefactor um, overlord uh, paying me money uh, um, or, or streaming. I would like consumer, just like cable TV, for example, would be a model, right? So there are all these channels, and I'm paying the, the, the service, and, and I'm getting the benefit of all these, maybe you can call them skills, <laughs> the skills that are channels. And so on and so forth. And and if a skill is dead, uh, doesn't you know? There's another one that I can go to and so forth. And there's an ecosystem. But I am paying for the value that I am consuming. I don't want to have somebody uh, like Amazon paying me like like they they pay. Uh, uh, you know, if you have a successful skill today, um, you see some uh, coins coming up showing up on your uh, <coughs> on your account. Uh, uh, and I need to say thank you very much, Amazon, for that. No, I would like for the people who are benefiting from the from the skill whether it's a skill that is discrete or whether it pops up uh, somehow is discovered because um, I just want to find out what the stock is. I don't care who's giving me that, uh, that value. Um, uh, but if I, pay, if, I pay, if I pay for it, I think it, then we have a sustainable ecosystem. If I have to, uh, if I have, to have a mediator who's, uh, you know, who's, who's sitting between the customer and me and, and, and has a formula of how to pay me, then, 
then um, I don't know. Um, so anyway, I think that's it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. We should can't agree more, uh, Ahmed. I can't absolutely agree. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about this every week. Uh, let's be honest. We're going to be talking about this every, every <laughs> single week until they fix this. Amen. And, um, and so uh, we'll move on. I will say this uh, to close. Um, the, the model that it appears like they've taken is straight out of the publishing realm where they allocate a certain amount of money for uh, Kindle authors and um, you know, they have a whole bunch of people uh, self-publish or publish books uh, into the Kindle Unlimited program and some of their other programs. And they just have these big uh, funds that they just give distributions out of at, at sort of their whim, their whimsy. And uh, that's, you know, yeah, they can choose whatever model they, they can yeah. choose whatever model they want, but people need to know what they're getting and they, they need to figure it out quick. That's why you can't sustain yourself uh, as an author on a book, right? Um, no, yeah, it, it, it's a big part of it. It's, it's viewed as a big problem uh, in that sector for sure. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, no one likes it there. No one's going to like it here. They need to do something else. Um, moving on to story number two. This is a report that was out this week saying that China is, quote, slow to adopt smart speakers and to jump on the smart speaker bandwagon. And this article, which is from Bloomberg, talks about the fact that there are challenges with the Chinese language uh, that are getting in the way. And uh, Ahmed, I'll start with you on this. Mm -hmm. What should we take away from this? Uh, Is this... um, is this just uh, part and parcel of being uh, at, at such a infant stage of this uh, emerging technology, or is this going to be a, a big-time recurring problem from this point forward? Well, I think, first of all, there's a problem of data. Uh, all right? So, I mean, we, we here in the United States of America today don't know how many Echoes have been sold. We, we, we guesstimate. Um, and so this notion that... Uh, that uh, it's it you know China is slow to jump and so forth. I think it's just um, way too premature to be making those kinds of so grand declarations. Number one, number two. I think they have it wrong as far as the language. Uh, it is a fact that, um, that Mandarin Cantonese is easier to solve as a problem, both in terms of speech recognition and natural language. That's wrong. Um, and number three, I think they you have Baidu and you have. Uh, um, uh, and, and you have uh, uh, Alibaba, right, um, number one. Number two, uh, the population there is, what is it, 10 times more than here. Uh, number three, um, there is a middle class that's rising, and the age population is more or less the same as the United States. So I think, number, and the other thing is they, they, didn't, they didn't spend too much time in the article on what's actually, the hardware that's out there. There's hardware. There's hardware up galore. And the last point is that um, that people in China, the you know, consumers who, uh, who use either iPhones and smartphones, they use speech a lot more than the United States. And the reason why they use speech is, is, is because it's much harder to type in Chinese in Mandarin or Cantonese than it is um, in, in the, my wife is Chinese and she tells me that, that it is harder to type um, because there is no alphabet and it's symbol based and so forth. So they use speech a lot more than in the United States, so I think I think um, I think the article has it wrong. Number one, number two, I think we're going to see the opposite. I think we're going to see an explosion over there, especially when Alibaba and uh, and Baidu get into the mix for real um, in the next uh, you know the next year or so. 
Totally agree, um, Ahmed. I think um, we're gonna see we're gonna see this explode. I mean, I look at the way that the Chinese interact, um, how people use WeChat, how it's been well well before its time here in the states with um, payments and ordering um, hailing yep. taxis yep. on WeChat like that. Um, that just shows they're they're way advanced in some areas, and I think that um, speech is we're, we're, maybe it's not in the home speakers, but it's coming. I mean, I see um, Neo, um, who has an electric um, SUV coming to, ch- to to the Chinese market, which is a very smart vehicle that has um, artificial intelligence, and of course, the way that people are going to interact in their cars with this artificial intelligence is what they're calling. Know me, which is uh, using speech recognition. Mm-hmm. So it, it, mm-hmm. it's it's very much you know it's coming, and I I I, I expect it's going to explode. I got to agree exactly with what um, Karen was saying, and Ahmed. You know, there are fifty six thousand characters in the Chinese language uh, keyboard, if you will, uh, were available. I guess yep. to be literate, you need to be at least three thousand character capable. When the PC was first invented, I remember people saying the Chinese will never be able to use it. The Japanese will never be able to use these personal computers. And I got to tell you, the first uh, five, six years of the personal computer revolution, most of the Asian countries were having a problem keeping up. Um, I got to agree with Ahmed. Uh, The article is a bit flawed. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, The Tmall Genie uh, was just announced by Alibaba. And, you know, Alibaba Mm -hmm. is significantly larger in in many ways than than, than, uh, Amazon. And let's just say their ability to solve the problems that uh, the article was, you know, sort of presenting is already pretty much solved. Um, and, And so we're at the point where there's an explosion of voice in China. And, and uh, like Karen had presented, it, so many firsts took place in communications within China. And in many ways, it, it, it's, it's led what we've seen in America. In fact, a lot of things that Facebook did was, in a sense, to mirror what was going on in China maybe four or five years earlier. You know, So mm-hmm. I believe that we're going to see a revolution coming from China in, in, a, in a good way. Uh, and uh, it's definitely going to be very much centered around uh, shopping and ordering. Food ordering, I think, is going to explode within China. In fact, I, as far as I'm concerned, voice-first food ordering is going to be the lowest hanging fruit on the tree. Uh, a year from now, we're going to expect every company to have a, a version of it. So it's uh, it's a big thing. Let's move on to story number three, which is that HTC has launched the U11 phone, which has gotten very good reviews, it appears, uh, and it has a uh, hands-free built-in version of Alexa, which has not gotten as good a review. It's a little rough around the edges, uh, according to some accounts, including this one. Um, but what we're seeing is that Amazon is not giving up on the phone. And uh, we talked about this in previous weeks. Amazon um, would love nothing more than to dent or erase uh, iPhone revenue. So, Brian, what is your take on this phone and integrating Alexa into a phone and what Amazon uh, is trying to do? Wow. You know, 
Amazon is always in day one. And that day one philosophy is to really just be an innovative startup and to try to make mistakes and to try to recover and learn from those mistakes as quickly as possible. The Fire Phone was actually not a mistake. It turned out to be a great learning lesson. I don't think we would have Alexa unless we had the impetus behind getting the Fire Phone done because they were both being run in parallel. Uh, within the company, and Ahmed might be able to talk to speak to some of this, but some of the energies were going back and forth, even though they didn't touch each other, which they should have in you know twenty twenty hindsight. But for example, the three D technology that uh, was in the Fire Phone is now in the uh, Echo Look, and the Echo Look is the closet uh, or you know, let's call it the fashion Echo that is. Um, quietly taking over uh, quite a lot of fashionistas that I know. They have the device and they absolutely love it. Uh, I called it a closet inventory system from day one, and I believe that's where it's going. Now, the cell phone, you know, this is, I think, the toe back in the water to try to test it. And I think uh, it is a rather nice test. I think it's done uh, quite well. But I would hold out that within the next two years, you're going to see Amazon go full in with their own branded system, their own branded device. And they're already kind of doing it. Uh, there's something that's kind of been rumored around, and I can't confirm or deny that I know anything about it, other than I, I'm going to speak to the rumor. It's called uh, uh, Alexa Anytime. The um, Anytime is a uh, social network, and it is also a communication network, and we're seeing the beginnings of that. And um, it's based, I believe, on their Chime technology. And Chime is a platform they acquired recently, well, not so recent, but over the last two years, uh, which is essentially a CRM uh, platform that they've used internally themselves. They've AWSed it, made it as an AWS platform for corporations. And we're going to slowly see concepts of that integrate into uh, more advanced aspects of using Alexa as a mediated communication platform. I believe that that might be one of the secret weapons that Amazon is holding, either knowingly or unknowingly, to bring them back into the voice uh, systems within cell phones, perhaps to build their own phone, but also to make a sort of makeshift network effect uh, of using all the Alexa devices that are out there, even the Alexa devices that are going to show up in appliances. I mean, uh, after after we had uh, the... Um, Consumer Electronics Show in January. I mean, we're going to have washing machines, uh, dryers, uh, you know, all kinds of appliances are going to show up with Alexa in it. And uh, now today was announced Maytag. Maytag, uh, a, a big competitor, uh, Sears, uh, has partnered with Amazon to sell an Alexa-branded uh, Maytag series of appliances. And they're going to be sold online and delivered and installed by local Sears reps. So we're seeing this hybrid that's taking over for the greater good. And this greater good is beginning to be a voice first revolution that we've been talking about. So the phone is one step, but it's not the entire step. Uh, it definitely hints at some of the challenges what we're going to um, what we're going to have to deal with on the design side, right? Um, when you say Alexa and you have your HTC phone next to your Echo next to everything else, like who who's going to listen? Um, and it's starting to have to arbitrate between all of your Alexa devices um, and your you know dishwasher and your Maytags and whoever 
will answer to Alexa. So that's definitely one thing that I know some of the companies uh, like like um, Amazon is looking at. Um, if there's multiple devices, how do you arbitrate and orchestrate answers between them? That, so that's one um, great design challenge. The, the second is um, what hi- they hint at, what they talk about in the article, which is... Uh, now are we leaving it up to um, the consumer to figure out which assistant do I need for what purpose? I mean, if um, Alexa is on the phone, but you can't make phone calls, so you have to use, you know, uh, Google Assistant to make phone calls. Like, it's so much work for, for people to really understand, like, what, who do I need to call for what, um, you know, for what, for what use case and f- to, to complete which task. Uh, the the last thing I'll say about this, like I um, I just remember when everything went mobile, right? It was like um, I used to say, you know, you can't just take a website and, and and make it mobile. I feel like what I'm hearing about the the current design of of Alexa on the HTC U11 is, um, you know, you can't just take a voice app for a shared home environment and put it on a personal personal on the go device and and expect it to. To, to fit all the right yeah. use cases in that way. That's, That's beautifully, yeah, beautifully stated, Karen. I, I gotta, I gotta add. Uh, she, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier about this concept of uh, mediation, and this is a big problem, and it's going to require deep context. Uh, deep context extraction is so important. Apple is working brilliantly, and I've studied. Uh, well, there's about two patents out there right now, and how Siri is going to mediate between different devices. Uh, Amazon really needs to deal with this. Google's going to have to deal with it, and it. It is a massive problem potentially, but it is easily solved if if you kind of go away from the tech side of it and go down the psychological or linguistic side of things. Uh, what are you asking? Uh, the uh, intent extraction and what are the what are the, what is the deep context about what you're asking? And that should really be informing what device is reacting. And a lot of the workers that are challenging these problems, uh, you know, a lot of the programmers aren't thinking in those terms. And, you know, Ahmed and myself, we talk about this all the time. It's because we have the wrong people going after the problem. It's not really a technology problem. It is a psychological issue because you're dealing with humans. What do you really mean? And why do you, why do you mean it? And that's where we need to really address it. Uh, Apple is an apple. Uh, I think Alexa is an orange, and they're comparing apples to oranges. And I think um, you can't just take, like to Karen's point, you can't just take um, something that is designed for far field, which is beautiful far field, um, and and then and, and try to put it on the phone and then compare it to Siri. It, you know, for near field, it just sucks. Um, uh, Alexa, uh, it doesn't have the features that uh, that Siri has because she has had uh, multiple years uh, to develop them and so forth. So, um, so I mean, anyway, I think I didn't try it myself, so I'm just talking theoretically. But I think taking Alexa and putting it um, on a phone is, I think, probably a good thing to have. But I think uh, comparing it to Siri right now is probably not fair. Um, it will have its own roadmap, and that roadmap is not going to be a simple linear translation or whatever Alexa has for the far field. And I think whoever is product managing, if there is somebody who's somebody should be product managing. Alexa on the smartphone as a product in its own right, as opposed to simply a linear, as I was saying, a translation of Alexa in the, on, the, on the far field. I got to ask Ahmed, you know, and you bring up a, an incredible question here. You know, this idea of voice as a, um, you know, as a transplant on top of the operating system to kind of do things modality with inside the operating system, whereas a personal assistant, these are unfortunately 
you know, kind of two forks in the road almost. And, you know, I think Apple has done fairly well in making Siri near field, uh, obviously even, uh, you know, probably argued the best near field system right now. Um, but, you know, Alexa doesn't really have the connections to do uh, any of the deep phone things that a, a Siri can. Do you see these things merging? Do you see that as being the way this should be, or should it be all I, separate? I, 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 well, I don't think I don't think they're going to merge because I think there are certain things that you will do, um, whispering to your phone that we wouldn't do, you know, by speaking uh, loudly and so forth. But I think I think what uh, what needs to happen really is that uh, Alexa will recognize your voice, just like Google Home does, recognizes your voice, and then personalizes the experience of a far-field um, use case to the extent it can, knowing who you are. So it, be, it is, to a certain extent, personal assistant, but it is not completely to the extent that, say, it is with your phone, because in your phone you're doing a lot of other stuff um, in addition to speaking to it to search and to do things. So I, I think there is a level of personalization that needs to emerge um, by recognizing voices, but I don't think I don't think we'll have a unified one assistant that can... It can be engaged with regardless of the modality, um, far field and near field, and and, and and then you have the the headphones. Um, you know that's yet another use case. I think these are all, and it's. To, I think to, to your point, Brian, and also Karen, I think the interface uh, uh, and the experience um, are core to what is the optimal way of doing something within that interface. I don't think they, uh, I don't think we can have a unified um, way of interacting. Um, that can just be one 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 stop shop, so to speak. I gave a talk about a year ago at the O'Reilly Design Conference, um, and it was called "I Hear Voices," um, and it was exploring um, multi-device experiences. So it was when you say "OK Google," and you have three devices listening and just um, suggesting some ways that um, we should be thinking about this. So um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll send that out to the group here, and um, you can maybe have another conversation at another time. Sure, and we'll post that uh, link uh, or whatever resource that is uh, to the show notes and make that available um, as part of this episode. So that's great, and we will move on to story number four, which is a bit of a one-off. It's an article that's uh, basically discussing how marketers are scrambling to catch up uh, with uh, exponential increase in uh, voice-first technology. And as somebody who's naturally interested in marketing, you know, I could say it's not hard to confuse people in marketing <laughs> it's pretty simple so the, the, this headline is sort of um, you know one of the most obvious uh, headlines I've ever I've ever read but uh, the the punchline of the article comes at the very end when it gives a data point about how by the year 2020 as much as 50 percent of search will be done by voice and that's um, Kind of crazy, and uh, if that holds up, you know, if that ends up being true, that's uh, going to change everything. And so, Ahmed, I want to start with you on this. What are your thoughts in terms of how products and services need to be assessing this new realm of voice technology for how they're going to raise awareness of what they're doing? Well, first of all, I'm going to do a shameless plug and ask people to go to whittlingo.com and and see what we're trying to do for uh, digital marketers. Um, uh, I think I think I think it is not fair to say that um, marketers are scrambling. Um, um, I mean, they're, they're all. It seems to me that marketing communication 
uh, departments are always scrambling because uh, technology is changing and their job is hard. It's hard to get the word out about your product. We are, we human beings are distracted by a million things and to grab somebody's attention is a very, very hard thing. So I think people underestimate the, the how difficult it is to get market share or, or mind share uh, of, of people who are busy and have a million things have, uh, you know, thrown at them, number one. So we've seen, you know, they've been scrambling when the web, when the internet came in, when the mobile came in, when social came in, right? Um, and it's the nature of the fact that the technology um, is new and it takes time to understand how it fits within the current ecosystem of how uh, people are doing things, people, how people are marketing their their product number one, and I think, uh, and I think it's just the nature of the, um, you know, of, of the business um, that um, first the marketers have to understand it. Secondly, the marketers have to uh, unplug or add add it to the workflow of how they how they uh, communicate to the market. And number three, you know, uh, the people who are being marketed too, being receptive to the marketing techniques that are being used. So it's a complex problem. And I don't think it's fair to say that they are scrambling. I think they're, they're figuring it out. I don't think they're coming late to the game. It's just uh, it, it takes time for, for these things to evolve in, in a way where it stabilizes until the next disruption. And then they have to, uh, they have to uh, you know, adjust and adapt to, uh, to whoever is coming up next. So um, I don't see it as, as them being behind the ball. I think them, they are just uh, trying to absorb something that is complex, given that their job is complex. Yeah, so a couple of things that um, I kind of disagree with in this article. I mean, um, it, it's trying to position voice first, and it's saying, you know, that there's a world ahead um, where voice, not text, is king. So here, here's, here's what I believe, mm -hmm. that um, a lot of this is being driven by things like app fatigue, um, you know, finding information, going to websites like, does the store open at, you know, 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. on Sunday? I just want to ask. I just want to know the answer to my question. And whether that's voice or text, whether it's a conversational assistant that I'm actually typing or I'm, or I'm speaking with my voice, I just want answers to my questions. So that's why we're seeing all of these chatbots, um, messaging platforms that let you interact with the brands because it lets you um, instantly interact in, in the way that you want kind of on your own terms. Um, voice is a part of that in certain contexts, but I, I don't think that it's just voice. I think that it's also text. Um, I, I just read this little uh, note on um, Kia around the Super Bowl created a Nero bot. So they have this new vehicle. And um, so on Facebook Messenger, they created a Nero bot and it let them, it let people uh, text and, and, and interact with Kia well before the vehicle was even available for sale to start the conversation earlier. Um, and they said they got about 115,000 interactions during that Super Bowl campaign to create brand awareness to start the customer conversation even before a vehicle was available. Does it come in red? Can I get leather seats? Right. Um, and so whether it's text or voice, I think the, the, the interactions are changing for marketing, um, but, it, but I don't think it just has to be with voice. I got I to gotta agree with Karen. And, um, you know, I'm a, a, a champion of voice first. I think it's going to absolutely dominate. Uh, and quite frankly, I believe the number 50% of searches is probably going to be a little on the lower side. It's actually going to go higher. You know, 
yet the other forms of modalities, the other uh, systems are still going to be at play. I think what's going to happening, what's going to happen is the field is going to expand that much wider. People are going to use searching or interactivity much more because the barrier to access is going to be lowered. You know, and, and we still think about this like uh, we're, let's face it, most of the people listening to us and including us, we're in the 1%. And that 1% is technology adopters and early technology adopters. And we represent a very, very critically small part of the greater population. It's very easy to lose track of that. With the, the power of voice and what most people in technology would think I'm crazy when I start screaming about how important this is, they don't understand what flyover country looks like for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, when you start going out to the rest of the country and the rest of the parts of the world, people just use technology as a tool in their life and they self-integrate it in ways that we as designers don't necessarily expect. But here's the powerful thing about voice. There's one thing that we know about voice, and there's a theme, and there's a, there's a thread that, that connects ideas and concepts together and when people interact. And once people feel that power that bridges that voice of theirs into the technology that maybe they didn't feel so well connected to, maybe they jump on Facebook and like a picture, and maybe they kind of interact with it in a cursory way, but they're not enveloped in it the way most of us technologists are. The voice will allow them to be enveloped in a technology in a way that they've never seen before. And, uh, and that's going to be the greater part of the population. And we could see it with the youth, the very young, fall in love with voice. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen it with the studies. I've done 19 studies uh, that have looked into how youth and younger individuals adopt into voice. Now, let me jump into brands. Uh, you know, when I say, Alexa, order me paper towels, and I'm a brand that makes paper towels, I now have a big quagmire. That quagmire is, what is my brand in a voice-first world? What does it look like? You know, the bottom line is, what it looks like is nothing. Your logo doesn't really equate in a voice-first world. So what equates? What equates is character and personality. I'm here in Southern California. I work with a lot of people in the creative fields that have helped storyboard this future for brands. It's something that I may wind up doing as a startup. But, you know, the, the, the basic idea is this. If, if a company's logo is a brand, in a voice-first world, they better be thinking in deep detail what that brand sounds like, acts like, feels like in that space, or else they're going to miss that space. And it's very much like the early days of the Internet. It's like, well, what am I using the Internet for? You know, I have distributors. Uh, I don't have any real communications with my customers. I go on network TV, spend a few million dollars branding with, uh, you know, your fingers are soaking in it now, Downey and all this other stuff, you know, and create these commercial messages. But those modalities are, are, are fading away, obviously. What's going to be replacing it is the direct interaction between the consumer and the brand in this voice-first realm. And... It sounds futuristic. It isn't. It is as simple as having a conversation with the company and or the brand. And if you get a knee-jerk reaction and you just do snarky or you just do funny or you just do boring straight uh, communication, you have 
disintegrated the brand equity that you've built up over X number of years. So this is going to be the challenge of this next epoch. So this article reaches to some of that, but obviously it's not going to the depth that I am. I've thought about this for over 30 years, so maybe uh, I got some uh, insight on it. But you know, the bottom line is, if you've got a brand and you're listening to me right now, you better start thinking about it. Because if you don't do it, the consumer is going to assign a personality to your brand on their own. I just want to say that for me, a brand um, is not the logo or the voice. It is the experience that I have when I'm using the product. So Scott's paper towel, right, is my is is the the brand comes to life when I'm using it, and it and it works better than any other towel. That's when the brand comes out, right? The the brand in TV and the voice and all that are signifiers that say it's me. Hey, it's me, right? But you know what? When I'm ordering my paper towels, when I want to say, Alex, I can miss my paper towels, and my brand uh, is has been asserted by me by the fact that I only buy, you know, uh, that brand. I don't need to hear the voice, or I need, I don't need the experience. I just that, that's what it means. It means I want that thing. Next time, if I don't have a good experience with the product itself, that brand is going to be uh, 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 dinged in in there, which is which is how it should be. Meaning. Uh, we have we have endured people who have crappy products but have big budgets and can buy commercials ad nauseum and get people to buy that product and 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 a better product that is not marketing itself as well is being neglected now hopefully with the with the disappearance of that medium where somebody can fool you into buying their brand because they sound nicer or they look better and all that where they have budgets where the bottom line is going to be the brand is the bottom line. Is this product good or not? I think it may be that uh, voice is going to become a, a great equalizer. Uh, but anyway, it's a topic that probably we should think about because uh, I think it's a great great thing that you called out there, uh, Brian. I think it's a, it's an interesting thing that, that voice may may uh, do away with um, some some falsehood and some artificial things that have been contaminating the, the, of the greatest product on, in a category versus another one. Yeah, no, it's all great analysis. And I, you know, my personal opinion is I don't think it's going to completely erase the brand meaning uh, in our consumer society, but it certainly will level the playing field because you don't, you won't have to be a Procter and Gamble brand in a voice-first environment to compete. Um, you can do all sorts of in runs and and uh, get your products out there uh, without having to to establish that and. Yeah, I just thought it was a very interesting article that sort of, Brian, to your point, shed some light on it, but certainly doesn't uh, take a deep dive. Um, that's for us to do. So the, all, all of y'all's commentary is greatly appreciated. Moving on to story number five, Google Home launches in Australia uh, today uh, with the slang to match. And this article talks about how, um, very interesting article, uh, discussing how uh, Google... Uh, has prepared the launch of Google Home in Australia by uh, adding the slang and really um, making sure all the, the the verbiage is there that Australians use and really being very meticulous, describing a very meticulous um, thought process into how to launch that product in that market. And so, Karen, I want to start with you on this Um and my question is, does this, you know, does this sort of thing normally happen? I, I would assume it does. You know, can, can you shed a little bit of light on um, uh, is this typical uh, product launching in the voice realm or is this just something specific for this marketplace? 
uh, this is the right way to do it, to really understand um, where you're launching, what the culture is, the language. Okay, they, they talk English with a, you know, a different accent than we do, but, but it's much more than that. I would say it's, it's just the same as launching in a, di- in a different country with a different language. You want to understand um, who your target is, how they ask for things. Um, direct translations don't, don't work. So I think it really shows that for any country um, that there are differences that you need to build in from the start in order to be successful. I mean, um, you know, it, it, this is a product that people pay money for, and if they try it and it doesn't work, they're going to send it back, um, and uh, this will set them up much better for success. I fully agree with Karen. I think, um, you know, being foresight enough to actually look at each English-speaking marketplace in the right realm is uh, a big testament to Google. Now, Google doesn't always get everything right, but they got this part right really well. And again, I got to I gotta say, uh, Nandini and the teams up there, you know, Google is going very far down the road to try to understand the linguistic nature, the psychological nature of how humans interact via communication. And I think if they continue down this path, they're going to do wonderful. So I think it's a good move um, on Google's part. Uh, Siri is right up there. I mean, I, I, gotta, I can't say enough about how well Apple has been doing uh, in that realm also. But, you know, obviously Apple has really let a lot of things slide in the other areas, but they've done really well in getting language and uh, getting the culture down fairly well. And again, the personality. These personalities are immensely important. And, you know, this may be the signs of Google finally understanding that your voice-first system needs to have a personality, must have a personality, an overt personality. And if you don't assign one, it will be assigned by the user. This is human nature, and you cannot change it with any code. So, I believe that that is going to be the beginning. I'm hoping, and I'm, I, I have a prayer circle uh, for Google to actually name their device. I'm hoping that at some point they'll get a name for it and stop this shenanigans of saying, okay, Google. Uh, I hope those days are behind us. So I think it's a good move, though. Let's not negative this. It's a great move for them to do what they've done. Yeah, I, I concur. Um, definitely, I think, um, I think Google going... Canada going to Australia. I think that's fantastic. I don't know what's going on with Amazon. I think they need to uh, get their act together and hopefully get uh, get on board and start getting their um, you know their their Alexa uh, outside of the U.S. and in UK and Germany. I think just, I think these are the, the only three countries they have at this point. So I think I think it's a great move by but Google. Now, I think Google is is pursuing. Um, I'm glad that they're not uh, just chasing numbers of skills as, uh, as Amazon is. I think Amazon is doing a great job with, uh, with building the, the, the ecosystem. But I think, I think that I think that it is smart of Google to be thinking, um, let's say, perpendicularly as opposed to horizontally, trying to compete against that and, and leveraging leveraging their assets. In this case, going international. Appreciate that analysis. So moving on to story number six. Bespoken launches Silent Echo, which is something they put together, a tool that allows um, text-based, you know, silent interaction with Alexa. And then Opirlo launched something called SoundOwl, which was referenced earlier in this podcast as well, which allows the creation of five-minute shortcasts that can be broadcast on their Alexa skills. So, um, Brian, I'm going to start with you on this. Um... Give me your thoughts on uh, either one or both of these things, and just in general, the importance of 
companies being able to act on their own in support of what these big tech companies do uh, to make money for themselves and, and, and further the ecosystem in their own way? Great question, Bradley. You know, I call it voice first, but it's not voice only. There's appropriate times when uh, people need to text into a voice platform. And I think that should be an a priori on all platforms. I don't know why it's not. And this idea of chatbots versus voice bots, you know, that needs to stop. I mean, I think we can blame Facebook for that. And I think ultimately it has to do with this, the ecosystem with inside of Facebook being textual. I think that's going to be changing very soon. You heard it here. Uh, let's just say this, Facebook will have a hardware device and it will absolutely floor people in the next 18 months. But this idea that you can only use voice is, is just as ridiculous as only using your thumbs. Um, but on the other side of it, there's this premise that, and I'll use a quote, millennials don't like to talk. You know, first off, that could have been said by Plato there's a certain range within your life where you just don't speak as much and maybe you're not as articulate. And maybe it's when you finally get out of college and you kind of get your wings that you can maybe finally get articulate. Some people aren't that good about it, right? So that's part of it. And the other part of it is, yes, we stunted a whole generation by letting them be face down, thumbs ready into these devices only because our devices didn't understand what we had to say. Now that they can start understanding what we have to say, the generation just under them, the younger generation I've studied very intently, they will have none of this. They will talk to their devices. The younger generation will demand and expect computing devices as they get older to respond to them by voice, just like they demand and expect every screen to have touchscreen. Uh, you know, Apple has this thing, oh, well, let's not make the screen touchscreen on our laptops. My son came up with a very simple equation. And he said, Dad, you know, if the iPad was invented before the laptop, it would be ridiculous to think a laptop not to have a touchscreen. Done. That's it. That's the wisdom right there. So that solves the equation there. Also said the same thing. He said, I would never think of having a computer that doesn't have the ability to understand what I'm saying and uh, being able to read back to me the stuff that I don't want to be reading. So... Yes, texting into it is important. Telephonophobia, look it up, folks. It's a real problem. In the 1800s, all of the bell systems got together and they literally had seminars and group uh, encounter meetings with people who were afraid to talk to inanimate objects. And it became a real psychological problem. I own some of the only research into that. Most of it has been discarded. It's not on the internet. Uh, there are 19 really good studies about telephonophobia that took place in the early 1900s. And telephonophobia came out with this idea that humans just could not talk into devices. They couldn't, they didn't feel confident. They, they felt that people were watching them and they were judging them. And if you look at the very early telephones, they had bells and they had the bells were eyes and the little speaker was a nose. That was designed to try to let this thing become less intimidating. It worked to a certain degree. We're seeing that too right now in the population. And I'll tell you how you can see it. If you, if you see people walking around holding their phone sort of, you know, uh, parallel to their mouth, that typifies them as somebody who's probably talking into a voice assistant or maybe having a speakerphone conversation. If you have somebody having the phone up to their ear, well, they're probably having conversation. Here's how I solve telephonophobia. 
hold the phone to your ear, your ear like you're having a conversation. It's done. If you can, if you can handle having a conversation respectfully in public, don't annoy people. You can talk to your personal assistant the same way. And if you happen to have an AirPod in, I love AirPods for near field communications. It's another way to communicate. So yes, uh, from this idea of texting, I think it's a powerful thing. Yeah, so the only thing I'll add is, well, first, uh, I'm not surprised that your son was saying those things, given that I know who you are, Brian, so <laughs> you have a smart son. <laughs> <I know. laughs> That's fantastic. And secondly, I think what you said uh, sounds fascinating. I would love to find out more about the uh, this phobia. It sounds like a book or two uh, that the historian of technology could write, uh, given given where we're going. Um, I, I think I think whatever history we can we can dig up um, uh, from the past will be probably very relevant and informative uh, about what's, what we're facing coming up now, next. Moving on to story number seven, and this one, from time to time on this podcast, there will be, uh, for a, could be a variety of reasons, stories that uh, will get mentioned uh, but uh, will not be subject to discussion. There's just no reason to to have a discussion on this and hear Karen, Brian, and Ahmed say how terrible this is. No, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> but we, we're very fortunate uh, to uh, to have um, uh, our first major sponsorship for the Alexa Conference. And I bring this up in context of a story that we had last week about Mississippi and Utah both jumping on board, developing their own Alexa skills. This story is a Tennessee-specific one, Tennessee and Chattanooga specifically, a very up-and-coming town, the first uh, city in the United States to have gigabit internet, uh, so a really profound tech story behind the city in the first place. Um, They're really supporting the Alexa conference. Um, The major utility there is all about it, and we're going to be announcing several other sponsors that will surprise some people in the coming weeks, but uh, it's important, I think, for people to know and just to state for posterity's sake that uh, voice technology um, is more than just the Bay Area. It's more than New York and Boston. It's it's everywhere. It needs to be everywhere. There's hunger for it everywhere. Uh, everybody in Tennessee I talk to about not just Voice First FM, but the Alexa Conference is all about it. And don't get me wrong, the Voice the Alexa Conference is going to pull people from all over the world. Uh, people from both coasts will show up. People from flyover country will show up. Uh, but uh, Tennessee's all about it, and so it just sort of needs to be stated for posterity's sake here on this show. That's, that's congratulations, by and the way. Congrats- I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I love the fact that uh, the, when the first time I encountered uh, your conference and then the, and then the podcast, I was, one of the things that made me really uh, uh, happy is the fact that this was not New York or, or, or San Francisco or the Bay Area. It was um, somewhere somewhere else, and I love the fact that, that is, that's where... Uh, the voice, voice, voice first FM uh, is is uh, is born and, and is is expanding. So congratulations, um, Bradley. Well done. Appreciate that. Yeah, congratulations, Bradley. And you know you have a. 10 billion gigawatt transmitter uh, for the Voice First revolution at Voice First FM and uh, the Alexa conferences and I think other conferences you're going to wind up doing are going to be a textbook study of how this whole revolution got off and uh, really, really good to see this uh, taking place. So congratulations. Appreciate that. Yeah, we're we're pretty excited. So uh, this is uh, the first time that we've got a story that... Uh, We'll just sort of be noted for the record. It will not be the last. And we'll move on to the last story of this week, uh, which is that Amazon 
is moving to disrupt food marketplaces by marrying Alexa with food delivery. And I want to pull this up. So I had never heard of Blue Apron. Uh, it looks like I will never have a reason to learn what Blue Apron was. <laughs> um, as Amazon now is delivering meals. Um, and I don't know if they're doing this in Nashville or not, although I need to find out. But a uh, fascinating story here on GeekWire about how Amazon um, is uh, getting into food uh, and, and these uh, quick meals that can be prepared. Um, really interesting story. So, Karen, for our final story of the week, I'm going to start with you. What do you take away from this? Um, how does this story strike you? Uh, I mean, it goes to using your voice with Alexa to order a pizza, um, right? It's going to be the on-demand, uh, hey, Alexa, what's for dinner? I mean, that's that's what it's going to be. And, and Alexa will be able to tell you what meal kits are in the Amazon van parked three blocks away. And um, you're going to get a meal kit because um, you want to make dinner. You just don't have the groceries. It, it's it's uh, it's all coming, right? It's all, it, 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 makes, it makes sense, especially with Amazon buying Whole Foods. They have the distribution now. It's It's all coming together. For me, voice is a way, or far-field voice is a way to enable me to um, engage with the world without having to uh, look at something and tap on something and do this and that and disrupt my flow and, and go to this um, this very dangerous thing called the smartphone that will suck me into uh, texting or, or the browser and so forth, right? So for me, voice was a way to liberate us from the screen. And now it's just occurred to me when I read the story, it occurred to me when, it, when I read the story that perhaps voice first is going to, in fact, enable us or in fact is going to exacerbate us being um, in front of the screen. So now that I don't have to cook, meaning I don't have to shut my laptop down and go to the kitchen and cook and be off the screen machine for at least an hour, now I can just say, Alexa, get me something. And as I'm saying this, my eyes and my hands are not disrupted, meaning my eyes are still on the screen and my hands are still on the keyboard. So that struck me as ironic in a way uh, that perhaps voice first, far field, because it's not disruptive, it's not going to disrupt our looking at the phone, uh, our, our looking at the screen. Um, and I just wanted to throw that bomb on you guys to see what, what kind of a reaction I get. Well, that's a big bomb, uh uh, Ahmed, let me say this, uh, and I'll answer that in a second. I think that the idea of having the ability to take over the kitchen, Alexa, is, I mean, that's obviously the secret agenda here. Uh, the idea of having that is a great opportunity for Amazon. Uh, it's also a great opportunity for families. I, I can tell you that what Alexa has done in our household is it's actually drawn the children to be more communicative, to actually be more pleasant. My, my children will say thank you to Alexa, will interact, and there is less screen time. And it is hard. I mean, listen, I think anybody who's got a child uh, right now is suffering from trying hope, to yes. get them away from the screens. Yeah. 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 And, 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 yeah, and it's actually served that function very well. Um, and I got to say this, you know, Echo Show has drawn the family together by allowing grandma and uh, and the kids to have dinner together, even though they're not in the same place. And then, you know, because we have two Echoes in the kitchen, to actually have 
trivia questions being thrown out while grandma's on the Echo show and the kids are asking trivia and grandma's saying, oh yeah, I got the answer. There's nothing like that. I mean, my, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have my mom come over sometimes, but this is so powerful. So this is, this is a great move to have uh, food delivery also. I'd like to see people make food, but the next thing is sit in your kitchen and eat it and maybe interact together. Yeah, I, uh, I have a five-year-old as well. So it's on-demand dance parties and um, open the magic Absolutely. door. Absolutely. The magic door is, uh, is, a pretty cool, is a pretty cool one that, we, that we've been using. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I, love, I love that capability. Yeah, I, think, I, think the, I think the point I was trying to make is simply that uh, technology is so complex that um, any, any sort of straight, straightforward, uh, straight line extrapolation that we make uh, is probably naive. Um, and, and so we have to assess it naive, my part, and, and all of us as we engage with these powerful technologies and see how they affect our lives. And I think it, the more powerful these technologies are, the more important it is for us as parents, as, as people who want to live a healthy life, to be willful and to be conscious of the tools that we have at our disposal and to maybe to focus on making sure that we do the right thing by ourselves and our family and our children. And and hopefully, um, you know, mature as consumers of these powerful technologies. I got to agree, Ahmed, you know, and, you know, I'm also on that theme that you've really brought about even in your earliest works and your early books is this idea of humanizing technology. I think this is the evolution of this technology and that's what's causing the revolution is that we are rejecting technology in our lives 24 seven all the time. We really want to bring back the elements of humanity. And this is the beginning of that. Now, you know, I got to say, I've used Blue Apron before. I've used other food uh, packaging uh, systems before. And, you know, they, they're all pretty interesting. But again, there's something that themes this all together is when I do these things, it becomes a family event. There's something about having a kit delivered and, you know, assigning different capabilities yep. to the kids. It is, it is brilliant. It's beautiful. And if there's any way that Alexa and Amazon can bring that about more and there's more families that actually sit down and not only just eat together, but prepare meals together. Um, this is our ancient humanity crying out to us. Uh, it's how we've always normalized our relationships within our families. And, you know, I can go on for days about the psychology that's necessary for us to, to make our food together, actually to gather our food together and then to prepare it. I mean, the gathering, that, that part is painfully lost, but the preparing... I'm not going to say it's a panacea that's going to fix families, but it's a good way to start. It's a good way for you to reconnect with your kids. Instead of saying, hey, what did you do today? There's a serendipitous moment of where a child might say, oh, yeah, we did this in in class and and in these conversations. I see in real time. And I got to tell you, take snapshots of that as a parent you will never get those moments again and find moments to make those moments. And I think bringing it all back, Alexa can do that. Home food delivery can do that. If you can do it from scratch, do it from scratch, of course. But better yet, you know, just spend those times together in the kitchen. That's what it's all about. No, that's great. That's great insight uh, across the board. Um, and as noted in episode five of the Voice First Roundtable, which is out today as well, interview with Nandini Stocker of Google, 
Um, one thing that she and I talked about uh, that just enthralls me with this voice uh, technology sector is that it seems like almost to a person, every participant, every person that's involved in this uh, technological movement, and it definitely is a movement, is interested primarily in reducing um, involvement with technology. That's the primary ROI of voice technology, it yep. seems like, is to reduce uh, impact, reduce uh, time involvement, reduce um, headaches and stress and so on and so forth of technology. I think that is really interesting, and uh, it's something that continues to draw me deeper into this vortex, um, and I, I'm sure you all feel the same way. Um, Karen? Brian, Ahmed, thank you very much for sharing your time and your insights and your expertise with us this week. Thank you. Thank you so much. An honor to be here. Yep, thanks. Greatly appreciated. And so for This Week in Voice, Episode 3, July 20th, 2017, thank you for listening. And until next time.